Now, this word that we've received today, and a wonderful word, a good word, concerning faith, hope, and love, and our sharing reciprocally in the body of Christ and experiencing these things in the reciprocal flow of life in Christ in the body is emphasized in this very passage, and it's emphasized in such a way that you realize that love and faith and the fellowship of faith becomes effective only when you acknowledge what's in you. It is the acknowledging of that which is in you, in Christ, that causes the Christian life to work. And without that acknowledgement, it won't work. There's no way it'll work. You can talk about all these great ideals from now on. You can just have all these wonderful theories and these wonderful concepts. But without the acknowledging of that which is in you, in Christ, then you will never find the practical application and the workability of what God has said is to take place. So what we're emphasizing in these morning sessions is the acknowledgement of every good thing that's in us. Now, the church has been short on acknowledging every good thing in us and long on acknowledging every bad thing in us. <laughs> it's really quite interesting. I mean, we've been perfectly willing to confess all kinds of things that aren't even biblically true. We're willing to confess, you know, I heard a speaker the other day say, I not only made mistakes, I am a mistake. And, you know, we've, we've said this through the years, I'm a mistake. Well, if you say you're a mistake, you're saying God made one, Right? Because he, he made us. He created us. We're a new creation. We're his product. <laughs> and to say that I'm a mistake is to say that, boy, Lord, you just blew it. You made a big mistake. So the acknowledging of who we are, the, the acknowledging of what we are is so essential. And so... We're really dealing with the need of lining up with truth and, uh, and not theorizing, but coming to the bedrock of truth and finding truth again. Now, truth is what God says, and truth is what God is. Jesus said, I am the truth. Now, you cannot separate the Word of God from God, just like you cannot separate the Word of God from Jesus. He is the Word. <laughs> he was the one by whom God created everything, and he is the one by whom God is creating everything today. It is still the Word of God that is still creating, 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 creating. Now. It is the Word of God that also creates our ability to acknowledge everything that's in us. For until you hear the Word of God and know what God says you are, you will never acknowledge what you are. God's Word 
is that which creates your ability to acknowledge what you are. And it is really coming to the Word of God again and to the truth of God again that is so essential in our day. Let's turn. Well, let me illustrate one of our problems. You see, our minds become so programmed away from the Word to the point that we become even resistive of the Word without knowing it. I will never forget being in a church several years ago, and I pointed out the fact that uh, the Scripture does not say that God helps those who help themselves. And uh, there was a lady there who happened to be a leader in that church who was so offended at what I said, that God does not help those who help themselves, that she just had a little temper tantrum and uh, just uh, lashed out at the pastor verbally. It just so upset her that, that I would question that God does not help those who help themselves as a biblical truth, that that's not a biblical truth. Of course, that was a statement by Benjamin Franklin in Poor Richard's Almanac. And it does not line up with the Word of God at all. You know, God isn't committed to joining everybody who's helping themselves. I mean, where, where is there any concept in the Bible that God's just looking around for somebody who's helping themselves so he can jump in with them and help them? We just, God just doesn't, you know, get in on our programs. <laughs> He's looking for people to come to his program and prostrate themselves before him. A broken and a contrite heart God will not despise. And uh, God is looking for people who come to him and present themselves a living sacrifice, holy, H-O-L-Y, and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service and not being conformed to the world, not fitting into the world anymore, but being transfigured, literally. Transformed is the same word for transfigured by the renewing of the mind that we may prove the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And that's the three levels of the will of God. Many times people settle for the good will of God or the acceptable will of God without ever getting in on the perfect will of God. And so that's what God is, is desiring of us, that we may present ourselves a living sacrifice. And so we just have these little cliches, you know, that we, we pick up. And uh, many of them are humanistic. It is amazing, absolutely amazing, how many quotes spill out from our lives all the time that are contradictory to the Word of God, like God helps those who help themselves. You would be amazed if you took a poll how many people who believe that that's a verse in the Bible. In the years that I used to travel exclusively, and I still travel a good deal, though I have a I have a, a anchor in a local church, which is a blessing. But I remember somewhere in this country, I think it was Southern California one morning, Sunday morning, I turned on the television to see the kind of religious programming out there. And, and there was this very well-known TV evangelist 
who said in his message, I've always subscribed, I've always subscribed to the truth that God helps those who help themselves. And, uh, and then he told how their great enterprise that he had built, you know, all their buildings and campus and all this had been built because he believed that God helps those who help themselves. I couldn't believe it. I never fell out of my chair. And here's the man actually, you know, propounding a Franklin philosophy, not the Word of God, a Franklin philosophy. And to our knowledge, Benjamin Franklin, though he was greatly affected by George Whitfield, greatly admired George Whitfield, to our knowledge, Benjamin Franklin never came to Jesus never embraced Jesus in his life. And so here's a man propounding a theory of, of an unregenerate man, a man never redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. He, he actually was propounding a theory by a child of the devil, if, indeed, Franklin never been born again. So the church has got to face some issues about truth, and it's a painful thing. I mean, it's really painful. When you, just, when you just really get down to the nitty-gritty, it becomes a painful thing because God begins to stretch you and begin to deal in areas of tremendous uh, significance. Turn uh, to Second John and Third John. I want you to see how important truth is to the Lord. Second John, we often skip right over Second John, Third John, because they're small epistles. That's just before Revelation, of course. Second John, the elder unto the elect lady and her children, that is the church, whom I love, how? In truth. Not only I, but also all they that have known what? The truth. For the what's sake, the truth's sake, which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever. Grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father, from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly that I found my children walking in the what? Truth, as you have received a commandment from the Father. Now, that's just the opening in Second John. Now, turn on to Third John and look at the opening there. The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. <laughs> Beloved, I wish above all things that you might prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, even as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. Now, God is really big on truth. Really big on truth. He wants us to know truth. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, here's an interesting thing, that uh, you have the truth. For Second John 
2 says, For the truth's sake which dwelleth in us shall be with us forever. Now I want you to know that you are a person of truth. <laughs> you are really a truthful person. Did you know that? Well, you are. You are full of truth, for you are full of Jesus, and Jesus is the truth. Jesus is in you. He's the truth, and you are full of truth. Now, if you will start listening from the source of who you really are, then you will just find the truth appealing, and you will want truth, 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 and you'll become so hungry for the truth that you cannot withstand the truth. You were just eager for the truth because you are a person of truth. Now, most people, because they don't know who they are, don't know what an appetite they have for the truth. For instance, people come to a church service that goes a little over, you know, and, and the Lord really pays well for overtime, in case you wonder. The church service goes a little long, and, and they think, boy, I don't like that. You know, I don't like that. I don't like that. Well, the fact is that that carnal mind doesn't like that. But that person, that that individual has been made to be in Christ does like that. It's a question of who's going to be listened to. And if you come to realize who you are, then you come to realize who you listen to. Do you listen to this carnal mind that has not yet been renewed and come under the authority of the Word of God, or do you listen to the Spirit of God in you, urging you, urging you, urging you on? You see, when an individual is first born, and the Spirit of God moves in and does this, dry, this dramatic and creative work in making us new creations, that individual immediately has a hunger, immediately a desire for the Lord. And there is just that throb from within that individual to get into the things of God. And it's only when, when that individual gets tampered with when that individual gets tampered with, can that be turned off? Let me illustrate it this way. A year ago last month, in the community that we live, there was this family whose house was on the side of the hill looking out over the lake. And Lake Country Estates is an affluent community. The lots now on the, on the lake shore uh, sell for 150000 for the lot, and they're not very big lots. So it's that kind of a community. And the houses are all nice. And so here was this young couple living in this house beside the hill, and they had inherited a lot of money, most of which they had blown in sin and drugs and all that business. And uh, this guy had worked for him years ago had gotten saved, had gone to a Jerry Falwell School up at Liberty, uh, uh, Liberty College up at Lynchburg, Virginia, and got really built up in the Word and was bold in the Word of God. <laughs> and he came to this guy's house that evening, and he said to him, Tim, I've got to show you that Jesus is coming very soon. 
And so he had one of these prophecy charts of all things, you know, and he just laid that prophecy chart right out at the edge of the hearth by the fireplace. He got old Tim down on his knees looking at this prophecy chart and said, here's the way it all worked, and here's where we are right now. And that means that Jesus could come before we get up off our knees, and you need him. And if, you, if he comes, you're going to go straight to hell, and I'm going to go to heaven, and you must get saved. Well, the, the Lord had already prepared old Tim's heart. I mean, he had done it all, and nothing worked, and he was as empty as hell itself. And, and he was just, his life was a mess, and he knew it, and he knew he couldn't get out of it. In fact, we had spent the 4th of July as a church family on the shore of the lake at one of our family's homes, and across the cove on the other side the year before, there had been a drunken party that exceeded anything I ever saw. They got so soaked that they were actually shooting Roman candles at each other. And old Tim was in on that thing. It's just a, you know, just a satanically controlled thing. And Tim was in on that thing. There he was, down on his, down on his knees, looking at this prophecy chart. And he, and he just, the spirit of the Lord had him prepared, and he just got saved. He became a new creation. And uh, that guy, that guy, uh, just got up off his knees with a hunger for the Lord. And uh, they, they had done so many wicked things, and they had a big boat out there on the lake, and they had so many bad memories about that boat. They sold it, just bang, they sold it. He was a heavy smoker, he was a heavy drinker, and, and immediately he quit smoking. And immediately he took a glass, he had grown up in the Episcopalian church or the Wiscopalian church, and, and, and immediately he, he took a glass and, and, and the Lord just told him he, that that didn't fit. And so he stopped drinking, and, and then his family all drank, and his mother made fun of him because he wouldn't drink with them, wouldn't have a glass of wine with them. So he took a glass of wine and got sick as a horse. He took a glass of wine to please his mother, got sick as a horse. I mean, the Lord just just took over, and uh, and nobody tampered with him. And he just started witnessing. And he just started telling people about the Lord. This past July, he, he was saved in January. This past July, they flew their own expense to New Albany, Indiana, and they spent the 4th of July there in that revival where God was moving. He said, he said if, if you had told me a year ago when I was down there drunk as a dog shooting Roman candles uh, at Whistle Ryan's that I was going to be saved and up here with you this 4th of July. <laughs> I'd have never believed it. Now, he became a new creation, a new creation, and nobody told him better. Nobody told him any different. He's a new creation. Now, if we receive the truth of who we are, then we receive an awareness of 
of our being as a creation, a person of a new character, and a person who understands that they're a new creation and have a new character will always have a conduct that follows their character. Now, if the, if the conduct does not match the creation and the character that has been created, don't believe the conduct. Now, this is where the issue comes right down to the practical. You're going to have to decide whether you believe that your conduct is what you are or whether you decide that you believe what your character became when you became a new creation, for you are a new creation. Now, Paul understood this, and so he began to say what God said. He began to say what God said. And so if you will turn with me today to Romans 6, where we were last night when we talked about the exchanged life, I want to pick up and uh, go uh, a few steps farther today. We have seen in Romans 5 some very significant truths. And we have seen that grace reigns through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. And we have emphasized already, if you're here for the first time, that the church must have a righteousness consciousness. It must have a righteousness consciousness. Now, why am I so emphatic about that? Because every time the church gets ready to storm the gates of hell, if we do not have a righteousness consciousness, the devil will come and accuse us. And if we don't know who we are, when we get ready to march on hell, we'll back off because we don't know who we are. And it is only the people who have a righteousness consciousness who will take on the spiritual forces that have been assigned to us and that attack us so vehemently today. Now, America is being humanized at a remarkable and alarming rate. Tim LaHaye's book, The Battle for the Mind, is one of the classics of our day. It is a classic of our day. But I want to say also that America is not only being humanized at an alarming and appalling rate, but America is being demonized at an appalling and an alarming rate. And we are not wrestling with flesh and blood, and we must remember this. We are not wrestling with flesh and blood. We are not wrestling with humanism, ultimately. We're not wrestling with flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, and against spiritual wickedness. See, there is not only spiritual holiness, there is spiritual wickedness. And spiritual wickedness is the demonic assignments the devil has made to attack. This church has demons assigned to it to bring confusion on it. 
because every church does. And because we have not taken the Word of God seriously, this is how we interpret James 4, 7. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore unto God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. But here's the way we do that. Submit yourself to God, ignore the devil, and he'll flee from you. Well, all he wants is for us to ignore him. We must militantly resist him. Militantly resist him. Jack Taylor says, Jack Taylor says, there's a war and not many people are showing up to fight it. And that's a fact. There's just not many folks showing up to fight it. Now, we are facing issues that that we will not be able to be victorious in unless these truths of who we are become so firmly fixed in us that we understand who we are in the very same way that Jesus Christ understood who he was. He is our model. He is the high priest of our confession. We saw in Hebrews 2 yesterday. And I probably will get around to ministering on that at some point. And we are to hold fast to our confession, to our confession, Hebrews 4.14 declares. And we must know who we are if we, can, if we are to confess who we are. We can't confess who we are unless we know who we are. I watched the Christians of Korea this summer with joy absolute joy. Thirty miles from the city of Seoul, where six million people live, is the 38th parallel. Thirty miles by jet, that's four minutes. By rocket, that's four minutes. They are four minutes from destruction, and they know it. They're in a battle, and they know it. Do you know that the one thing that causes the Christians of Korea to respond as nothing else is the binding of Satan? Every service that I was in, and I ministered in a Baptist church, the largest Baptist church in Seoul for most of that week, Central Baptist Church in Seoul. Wonderful church. They have to have three services on Sunday morning to get the people in their building. There, were, there was uh, uh, five or six hundred of them prayed all afternoon, all Sunday afternoon. God is blessing, just pouring out his power. I was in a Presbyterian church. Uh, with uh, with a dear brother. Uh, that's not important. And they, too, responded the same way. You bind Satan. And they just agree. It's just a roar of approval. They bind the devil, whether they're Presbyterians or Baptists or Assembly of God. They understand their fight is not with communism 30 miles. Their fight is with the devil, and the devil has control of communism. They understand their source. 
Their problem is not communism. Their problem is the devil. Communism is the symptom. The devil is the problem. And we got a lot of problems in our land. That's a symptom. And behind it is a spiritual battle designed to destroy our land. And the church that ought to be attacking the source, attacking the devil, is asleep. Because we don't know who we are. And so that's what Jesus said. He said, when the Holy Spirit's come, he will, he will speak to you of sin, of righteousness and judgment, of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to my Father to make you righteous, and of judgment because the prince of this world's judged. The devil's already defeated. And he's a trespasser, and he can walk over our land with muddy boots as long as he wants to unless we understand who he is and that he is defeated because we understand who we are and that we are victorious. And so this is absolutely essential in terms of the spiritual confrontation that we are in right now. And so it's interesting that after God said everything he said about righteousness, in Romans chapter 5, verse 17 says, uh, Romans 5, 17, For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they who receive abundance of grace, and receiving the abundance of grace results in receiving the gift of righteousness. And the gift of righteousness is what lets us reign in life by one Christ Jesus. No individual will reign in life until they know they're righteous. And what we have told people is that they are sinful. We have told even the people of God, you're sinful, you're a saved sinner. You have a sin nature and you have a, you have a godly nature. And who wins is determined by you every day. I believe that if you will study the Word of God carefully and study the Word of God closely, you will discover that Paul did not see himself having two natures. And I want to show you this in a moment. He saw himself having one nature, but he saw within himself an unrenewed mind, a carnal mind that was not yet obeying his true nature. And so as a result, and so as a result, he was living in defeat rather than living in victory. And this becomes the all-important issue is what we are and who we are. And so he comes through chapter 5, and then he comes into 6, and he, as the Spirit of God writes through him, asks, what shall we say then? <laughs> See, we are people of truth now. Now, we're going to say the truth. If we, if we say what God is saying, we're just going to enjoy truth. We're not going to believe tradition. We're not going to go check somebody's systematic theology. Because I can tell you it can be systematic and not be true. It's interesting, the Bible is not systematic. And it's true. <laughs> because, because the Bible is not subject to human logic. And I thank God for that. You don't receive it from flesh and blood. 
You receive it through spiritual revelation. <laughs> so what are we going to say then? Are we going to continue in sin so grace can abound? Is this a license for sin? Absolutely not. Does this indicate sinless perfection? No, it's not even teaching sinless perfection. But it is teaching victory. It is teaching victory over sin. Shall we continue in sin so grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer in it? Don't you know that as many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Our baptism, of course, was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We were baptized by the Holy Spirit when we were born of the Spirit of God. So, in that birth and baptism simultaneously, we were brought out of one family and immersed into another, brought out of the family of the devil, placed into the family of God in our spiritual birth and in our spiritual baptism. And our baptism of the Spirit into Jesus was the baptism of the Spirit into death. Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness, walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together, and we were planted together, togetherness in Jesus is true in every point of his life. We were planted together in the likeness of his death, and we are to be also in the likeness of his resurrection. The likeness of his death evokes the likeness of his resurrection. As he died, we died. As he rose, we rose. As he died, we die. As he lives, we live. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. Now listen, not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. Now, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth, knowing this, our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, and we are dead with Christ, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised in the dead, dieth no more. Death has no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died how often? Once. But in that he lives, he lives how often? Always. He ever liveth. He lives continuously unto God. Likewise. Count on yourself. You can count on this. You can count on this because it is so. Counting on it doesn't make it so. It's so, and that's why you can count on it. You can count on this. Reckon means to count on. It's an accountant's term. Likewise, count on yourself to be what? Dead indeed unto sin. You can count on being dead indeed unto sin. See, most Christians today are counting on sinning. I sin every day, don't you? 
I mean, that's the cliché. They're counting on sinning. Somebody said to me the other day, I sin every day, don't you? And I said, no. No, I don't. He said, what? <laughs> See, I, I didn't sin yesterday. I mean, I went through a whole day. The Lord never one time yesterday told me I sinned. It's just all day long I've been with Jesus. It has been a glorious day. You know that song Jerry Spencer sings? He's on our board. You know, you know that song? All day long I've been with Jesus. It had been a glorious day. I just moved up one step higher, and I'm moving on the King's Highway. And that's kind of a day it was. You see, we count on ourselves to be dead unto sin. So that if we do sin, and when we do sin, it is an intrusion. About works. It's an amazing fact that while most Baptists know Ephesians 2, 8, 9... By grace, you save through faith. That is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Then ten is not as well known. For we are his workmanship. We are now <laughs> his workmanship. That's why in the Christian life there is no self-made man. Isn't that something? We are his workmanship. That word workmanship actually is the word for poem, his rhyme, his poem. We are God's poetry. Now listen to this. Rest of the verse. Created, created in Christ Jesus. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God himself hath foreordained that we should walk in them. Now, if we are God's creation, and we are, we were created in Christ Jesus under good works, and we are the creation of God, the poem of God, how are good works done in the Christian life? The good works are done in the Christian life, not our working for God, 
but God working in us mightily. Let's, let's go to Colossians a moment, and uh, this is not Everett's book, <laughs> exclusively. <laughs> I want you to see this in, in the fall. Look at Colossians 1.29. The first 14 years of my Christian life, the first part of this verse was my motto. 129, for this I also labor, striving, <laughs> and Jane can tell you, that as a young, insecure pastor, I had a, a large church for a 20-year-old man, and then a large church for a 28-year-old man, and at 28, I was pastor of a major church. And I was intimidated. <laughs> and I drove myself day and night. And I labored striving. I labored striving. I labored striving. And one day I read the rest of the verse. <laughs> According to his working. According to his working, according to his working, according to his working. <laughs> oh, I had to just, I had to hear that verse like as a record that was broken, according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. If I had not been 28 years of age, I would have died of exhaustion, laboring, striving. And one day, I realized that I was to labor and strive according to his working, not according to my working. Are you hearing? According to his working. According to his working. <laughs> which works in me mightily. And there it was. Now, God's, God's works through us means that we are experiencing then not working for wages but clipping the coupons. You see, you, I, I'm not going to get through this series, I'm sure, so let me say to you this morning that you're not only a person of truth, you're a soul winner. Did you know that you're a soul winner? Well, you're a soul winner. Because you were created a soul winner. Do you think that God could make you and not make you a soul winner? <laughs> he made you a soul winner. When God created you, he created a soul winner. Don't you ever think you're not a soul winner? You are a soul winner. 
You haven't found it out yet, but you're a soul winner. When he created you, he created you to be a person of prayer, and you're a person of prayer. You may not know you're a person of prayer yet, but you're a person of prayer. And when Jesus, when Jesus, who is your life, takes charge of your life, you won't have to worry about wanting to pray. You don't want to pray so much, you'll wish people leave you alone a little longer so you can pray more. You're a person of prayer. Oh, you're a person of prayer. <laughs> Um, next two mornings, I'm, I may develop some of this. I don't know. But you're a person of love. Did you know you're a person of love? Well, you are. You're a child of God, and God is love, and you're love. Oh, you're a person of love. <laughs> I tell you, we had a fullness board meeting this time. We had two fullness board meetings in which God wiped out the agenda. We didn't do anything we came together to do. We got together our annual meeting in St. Louis, preceding the convention, and God flattened us. You know, here were all these experts going all over the country in Bible conference telling everybody all this, and God just wiped us out. We just got down on the carpet and just, just sobbed, sobbed before the face of God. And I, was, I led the pack. Because I can tell you something. In Jesus, there aren't any experts. And I can tell you I'm not one. I'm just a, a vessel in which there's a treasure. And I know an expert, but I'm not an expert. But I know, oh, I know an expert. <laughs> I know an expert on the Word because he is the Word. We came together then at Salado at Stagecoach Inn for two days. And again, God just broke on us. There's an amazing thing happened to our board this summer. We found out we really loved each other. <laughs> I mean, we really loved each other. There's a man on the board who had a bitterness in his heart toward me that I didn't know. I knew something was wrong. I felt good about him, but I had been with him in his church in the years that I traveled, and I did something one day that offended him. And it never had been made right. And he let bitterness develop in his heart, but he loved me, but he didn't know he loved me because all he was feeding on was bitterness. And that night in Salado, <laughs> God broke through. You see, you're a person of love. But the devil has kept the people of God from finding out they love each other. See, we love each other. Well, I don't like him. I am... I am. You do love him. Jesus in you loves him. That's who you are. You are a person of love. Are you hearing? But see, the devil has kept us from finding out what we really are. 
And I can tell you that when we find out what we really are, God works in us mightily. 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 Okay, I was going to show you one thing in Romans 7, and I'll do that. Romans 7, 17. Romans 7, 17. Well, you won't understand 17 if you don't start in 15. Romans 7:15. For that which I do, I understand not. What I would, that do I not. And what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent to the law that it is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I wrote a couple of books which will have to be rewritten. I didn't even bring them. I'm not sure that I'll ever sell another one. <laughs> because I taught that people were sinful and spiritual at the same time. And that the, you had to die daily to keep from being sinful, and if you died daily to keep from being sinful, you could be spiritual. And that's not what the Scripture teaches. For Paul knew who he was. And though he sinned, and he did, he said, it's not I, because he knew who he was. It's an amazing thing. Though he sinned, he said, it's not I. It's sin that dwells in me, and that's not me. He said, he was saying, it's not I. And then he struggled with how is this thing going to work? And he goes on through seven, and he said, it's like a dead man on my back. I can't get it off. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he sees, I thank God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, as a new creation, the power source is always Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And you draw from Jesus through the Holy Spirit, and you find yourself overcoming sin. That's why you don't have to sin. If you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. <laughs> and so you break into Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation. No condemnation. No condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Let's pray.